Today is Sunday, May 12th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 314 featuring former Celtics fan favorite Kendrick Perkins is brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Hey everybody, welcome back into Celtics Beat. Adam Kaufman here with you. Hope uh, it's a happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are listening. Or if your mom is not listening, wish her a happy Mother's Day or your mother-in-law, your sister who's a mom or your aunt who's a mom or so on and so forth. Wish people happy Mother's Day. It'll make them happy. Get them a card if you feel so kind. The rest of this show, it's going to be a great show. I'm very excited about the show, but uh, there are going to be some elements of it that are not as uplifting. For one, where we begin. Celtics became the first team in NBA history to win their first five playoff games, then lose the next four. I'm not sure there's a better way to sum up this up-and-down, frustratingly inconsistent season than that single statistic. After two straight overachieving trips to the conference finals, Boston won 49 games and then fell well short of its championship aspirations with a five-game conference semis loss to Milwaukee. Game one blowout, followed by four defeats by an average of 16 points. As the games went on, they got less competitive, certain players were less effective, less interested, and the team's fans became more infuriated with a team that we all just wanted to love. Really, we did. We all expected to love. We wanted so desperately for this team to reach its championship pinnacle, you know, the height of what its ability was on paper, and it never did. Instead, most of us hated this team. Wasn't a likable bunch. That doesn't mean all the players were unlikable, mostly the same group from last year. It's just the team that was unlikable. This C's team was the biggest single disappointment, the biggest group of underachievers, quite possibly in franchise history, definitely in recent Boston history. In fact, they're right there with the 2011 Red Sox, the 2009 Patriots, and that's really saying something. It was embarrassing, often, more often than not. Kendrick Perkins, though, played for a couple of terrible Celtics teams, but also a champion, and another that almost won a title two years after that. And another team we'll always wonder about because, well, he was traded away. We're going to talk about all that today. I'm thrilled to welcome Perk into this podcast. Perk, it's a pleasure, man. How are you? I'm good, Adam, man. Thanks for having me. Man, I so appreciate you having me on today. Oh, absolutely. This is going to be a lot of fun. As I was telling you off air, we're going to we're going to get real deep. Before we talk about you and your time in Boston, because we are going to do plenty of that later in the show, let's start with this year's team. You've been a, uh, a hot take machine lately on Twitter, huh? Yeah, I've just been, you know, tweeting how I feel, watching the games. You know, playoff basketball is, uh, I look forward to it, man. It's a fun part of the year, and I know I'm not playing anymore, but... I still was looking forward to these playoffs, and man, you know, I, I expected this to be a, a pretty good playoffs, one of the best that we've seen in a long time, and it's been pretty exciting. So I look forward to the playoff basketball. So I just, I be on my Twitter, man, just tweeting throughout the game <laughs> on how I feel, different plays, what different players are doing, just giving my opinion, really, about the game. Well, you were firing off some tweets during the Boston-Milwaukee series questioning everything fans have questioned, really, which is the C's togetherness, lack of heart, selfish play. You said Kyrie Irving is not a Batman. He's not even Isaiah Thomas in some ways, in that, of course, you know, one took the team to the conference finals and the other clearly has not to this point, that Irving disrespected Boston. You've had some really strong opinions about him. How frustrating was it watching what unfolded over these last couple of weeks? Well, it's very frustrating. For one, I lost the bet to Nick Wright. So that, <laughs> that that hurt it from the jump. But I was rooting for the Celtics, man. I thought they, you know, watching them, even though Oliver Depot was out watching them through the Indiana series, I was like, okay, they finally getting it together. So they ready to, you know, they ready to, uh, it looked like they starting to jail. You know, things was looking like they was turning over and looking like the Boston team that we was expecting them to look like throughout the season. And, you know, the one thing about it is I think, you know, I'm not trying to give Kyrie a hard time, but, you know, you got to call it spade to spade. I mean, you know, his approach, you know, the way he's been talking in the media and, 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 you know, his, like, 
you know, just his arrogancy about it, you know, you would expect more. You know, my thing is is that, you know, when Kevin Durant came out when he was, you know, so called struggling during the Clipper series and he and he said, You know who I am, I'm Kevin Durant and he actually went out there and proved and backed up his words. Well, I mean, you know, I heard Kyrie doing a whole lot of talking, but he wasn't backing it up, man. And and I was just watching his post-game comments after the games during the Milwaukee series, and I'm like, do this dude even care? Like, you know, like, I'm not taking nothing from him, but he's an elite player, but it was just to the point where it was just getting frustrating to watch, man. And, you know, you, you could see – you know, in ways the camaraderie of the team last year was a whole lot better than what it was this year. And obviously, you know, they, they faced the Milwaukee Bucks, which was a tough opponent. But still, no, I still, you know, even if the Celtics did lose this series, it wasn't supposed to be 4-1, and they weren't supposed to go out in that type of fashion. In my opinion. Yeah, I mean, so many lopsided losses. I just wonder, and we'll do a lot more on, on Kyrie individually, but looking back over the course of the year, should we be surprised right now at the way that it did end? Or were there enough indications, enough warning signs during the regular season that maybe we should have seen this coming to a certain degree? Well, I mean, yeah, but, you know, like, you had this time where when the playoffs hit, most guys hit turn on. I mean, it's a different type of life switch. So, you know, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, like I said, watching in the Indiana series, I'm like, man, you know, they look like they didn't turn over a new leaf. But at the end of the day, I also said this at the beginning of the season, I was scared because I was scared for the Boston team because I was scared that guys weren't going to buy into their roles or it was going to be hard for guys to buy into their roles because the, t- the Celtics are so talented in every position. And I was just saying, you know, when it's in the NBA, you got a lot of guys that's fighting for contracts and young guys. I mean, at the end of the day, they weren't about, you know, they want to win, but they weren't about their security more than anything. So Mm -hmm. that was my biggest concern. Cause I know, you know, after the year Jason Tatum had last year and the playoff run he had last year, I was expecting him to come back. And he probably had it on his mind to come back and, you know, try to average 20-plus points, make the All-Star game. But then you insert Kyrie and Gordon Haywood, and it takes away from Jason Tatum. So as a young guy like Jason Tatum, how do he sacrifice? Like, how can you make him sacrifice when he played so well last year? So that was my biggest concern going into this year about the Celtics was – I was wondering if guys was going to be willing to sacrifice because I knew you have a lot, when you have a lot of young guys, a lot of young talent, guys are worrying about different things. Guys may have hidden agendas, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's a natural thing. Danny Ainge, once he gets healthy after that minor heart attack during the series, and obviously we wish him well, he is facing right. tons of questions about where to go from here. And running it back clearly is not an option, Perk. The biggest question does surround Kyrie Irving's future. And before we look ahead with him, you got to look back. And Irving went from saying this before the season. You guys will have me back. I plan on re-signing here next year. To this midway through the season. I don't owe anybody Ask me July 1st. To being totally non-committal about his future after the season. When you kind of look forward to this summer, just in general, what kind of what kind of things are you looking for, I guess, in your life? Um, and what kind of things, kind of situations would be a positive situation that you want to be in when you? I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm just trying to make it back to Boston first, you know, safely and get to see my family, decompress, you know, do what human beings do. People here are speculating about your future, and certainly this summer. Did uncertainty over that weigh on you in in any way? In this no, series? no. Perk, Al Horford wants to stay in Boston. Marcus Morris wants to stay in Boston. Aaron Baines wants to stay in Boston. Irving's not touching it. Now, we know he's an odd duck. You know better than most. You played with the guy in Cleveland for a little bit. Why do you suppose this spiraled so out of control from practically begging to remain here to maybe I'll see you guys later? Well, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, that's just, like I said, that's, that's just showing – bad qualities of leadership, man, in my opinion, more so than anything. And he just sounds confused, and he sounds like a guy that don't want to be in Boston. I mean, 
he sounds like a guy that don't want to be in Boston. And, I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't want to be there, then don't force him to be there. I mean, the Celtic history and Celtic pride is way bigger than Kyrie Irving, man. So, at the end of the day, you want guys who want to be a Celtic um, and be part of the history and be there with the winning mentality. So, you know, you want to move forward. If he, I mean, it's not like you're fighting over a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant right now. So, at the end of the day, if Kyrie wants to leave, hey, man, move forward and try to rebuild and, and build with the guys who want to be there and want to represent Celtic pride. One guy who defines, oozes Celtic pride is, of course, Marcus Smart. I love the guy. I'm sure you do, too. Lots of people believe, though, that Irving's lack of leadership, and you've talked about it, sunk the Celtics. Smart was asked about that. He had to come into a situation knowing that, you know, just a group of guys that had something going before, you know, I come here. Uh, how will I fit in? Like, he didn't want to disrupt that, you know, and uh, that says a lot. This is Kyrie Irving we're talking about, and he's talking about coming in and disrupting you know, us. And, you know, we took him in with full arms and, you know, we tried to understand, but we were never really understood because we're not in his shoes. So uh, that's just a bull statement to say his leadership killed us. What we saw from Kyrie this year, Perk, and just it, it seemed like, you know, <laughs> w- 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 you know w- what it seemed like a guy who just the team went really not as his play went, but as his mood went. Bad mood, Kyrie, team plays bad. Great mood, Kyrie, team plays well. When someone like that is your front man, is that poisonous to your team culture? I mean, I guess is what we just heard from Smart, is that a BS statement that he referred to, or is it just Smart kind of BSing everybody else and covering for his guy? Well, I think he just covering for he He's just been a great teammate. Man, I love Marcus Smart. Um, I love what he brings to the team. I love his, his tenacity, everything, his heart. I think he just said the right things to the media uh, to cover up for Kyrie. But at the end of the day, man, we I mean, for, you could see it. I mean, it's clear as day. I mean, when Kyrie didn't play, you could see the joy, the life, how the Celtics played without him. They was, they, was, they was having fun. When Kyrie played, it was kind of like, oh, like exhausting. And like, you know, at the end of the day, man, I always tell people, you know, some people are born to be a leader. Some people just not. I mean, and it's hard to be a leader. It's hard to be a leader. It's hard to have those leadership skills. And, you know, I think Marcus Smart was just saying what he's supposed to say. But at the end of the day, he know deep down inside where, where, where everything stands. Like, you know, man, we just we keep harping on something. But, I mean, he showed us the size all season long and in the playoffs that, he really don't want to be a Celtic. Smart as a leader. You know, if if Brad Stevens believed in captains, to me it would be Marcus Smart. It would probably be Al Horford, but it should be Marcus Smart because that guy is right. just, you know, to me, again, to use the word, he oozes leadership. Everything that you want in a player with regard to the way that he carries himself, that's Marcus Smart. You know, that guy is the Boston Celtics in a lot of different ways right now, but and maybe even to the degree of of covering for his teammate, Jalen Rose. I won't play this audio, but he said something interesting on on Get Up on ESPN the other day that Irving's teammates they want him gone, that they would help him pack, that these guys do not like each other. You know, you already acknowledged the the joy that seems present on the court when Irving's not out there and how exhausted they look when he is. Do you believe it is to that degree that they, regardless of what Kyrie wants, maybe he does want to come back to Boston, regardless of what he wants, that his teammates would be happier if he wasn't here? I agree, man. I think his teammates want him gone. I mean, you can just see it, man. Like, you know, I watch basketball all year long, and I agree with Jalen, man. I think the team, his teammates want him gone. I mean, obviously, they're going to they're gonna say the right things, which they're supposed to. But as a guy like Jason, a guy like myself, you know, I had a right to, we had a right to speak. But we see it. And, man, you know, that's not sugarcoated, man. Like, I think the Celtics will be better off with, with, with without Kyrie. Now, will they win the championship next year? Who knows? But I think – You'll see more joy, more you, you, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum will be able to uh, come out and flourish more. And, you know, Gordon Hayward could live up to expectations, man. The ball will be moving. And, now, you know, you know, everybody was talking about, oh, Kyrie, he was making the right pass. 
Well, I mean, he wasn't making the right pass with the right intentions. Like, it's a difference if you're making the pass and a guy know you're making it the right pass to them for the right intentions that, like, you want to get them involved necessarily, that you have you have to make the right pass. So, at the end of the day, man, I agree, I agree with Jalen on that one. And I think guys, are, I think the seeds would be better off without Kyrie. But when you say better off, because you just said there, you know, there'd be more joy, more ball movement, and obviously that is specific to what translates on the floor. But you also said they wouldn't win a championship. Most people would agree, no. and I don't know that you do, but most people would agree that you're still a, a better team when you have Kyrie Irving because he's a top ten, top fifteen player in the NBA. Would they be a better right. team without him or with him? Because if the answer is with him. Don't you have to do what you can to try and figure out making it work with him? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, they finish, what, fifth in the East, right? Fourth? Fourth, yeah. Yeah, they finish fourth in the East. I will take this same team right now without Kyrie, and I guarantee you they'll still finish fourth in the East. Hmm. And it's just what it is. I mean, it's not like Kyrie delivers something spectacular throughout the playoffs. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I know a lot of people that would love to go and play in the city of Boston. A lot of superstars, uh, a lot of stars that would love to go play for that franchise. So Name some. Like, people want names, Perk. Who wants to come play in Boston? Well, I mean, a lot of people would love to go play in Boston. I'm pretty sure AD wouldn't mind playing in Boston. KD wouldn't mind playing in Boston. I mean, like, there's guys that's out there that you could go get that are go play, especially with that Boston team that they already have. You think AD would want to be here even though his dad came out and said that the way they treated Isaiah Thomas and trading him after what he gave the city and playing through the injury and all that, that he wouldn't want to be here? Yeah, but AD also followed up and said at the All-Star break that he he wouldn't mind. You remember that? So, I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, our parents and others, they speak out of emotion not really knowing, but... Um, I would. I, I I think AD would mind going to Boston and play. I think it would be great for him. After the, we'll do more on on AD. I want to stay with Kyrie for a little bit because this. I don't know if you heard this, but this has been getting a lot of traction on Twitter. I think it perfectly summarizes where things are at. After the Celts were eliminated, Grant Hill, Hall of Famer, fellow Duke alum, who rarely this should be noted is rarely critical of anybody. Unloaded in his way, anyhow, a very calm way, but at least in in the words he used, unloaded on Irving on NBA TV. He didn't look into it tonight, even though he took 21 shots, but just his leadership, his press conferences, he's been indifferent, he's been disengaged. Certain franchises, you just can't do that. Boston, that's one of them. There's an expectation there of success, of working hard, of, uh, of having integrity in terms of how you approach the things. And, and Kyrie didn't live up to that as their as their marquee guy. Talk about Larry Bird and Havlicek and Russell and even recent years, KG and, and Paul Pierce. And he didn't fall in line with the rest of those greats. So I think Hill described it perfectly. You've spoken about Celtic pride. I think he echoed a lot of the different things that you've said elsewhere and during this show so far about what it means to play basketball for this franchise, for these fans. Does Irving just not get it or not care to get it? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, and for, for Grant Hill, like you said, for Grant Hill to come out and say that speaks volumes because Grant Hill is not even – that type of dude, like you said, he don't, he, he never really, he rarely does that, or probably never done it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know if Kyrie cares, but from me watching it, it seems like he don't, like, okay, move forward. Or he don't understand the history. Like, you know, some guys are built for us, some guys are not, man. And I, I don't know if Kyrie is built for Celtic basketball. Here's something I, I don't understand. So in those last four losses – Irving shot 25 for 83. In the last one, as you said, and and everybody felt this way, he just looked checked out. You know, no effort on defense, horrible shot selection on offense, appeared to not care. You said that. I think it's the biggest, you know, the most damning remark. He looked like he didn't care in an elimination game after declaring this would be his time. All the promises of flipping the switch in the playoffs. This is why they traded for me. And he no-shows, and then zero accountability after the fact. He could have said, I sucked. This is on me. Instead, he said he was he was looking forward to watching the Bucks play in the playoffs. I mean, something that, like, KG, Paul, like these guys, 
You, I mean, never, ever would have said something like that after getting eliminated in the postseason. He even said he wasn't disappointed. I just, I don't understand it. I don't understand it either. But if you look back on Kyrie's track record, I mean, he made all these promises. But at the end of the day, what did he really do for Cleveland before LeBron got there? Like, look at his track record. I mean, it's not like he just was taking Cleveland carrying the Cleveland team by itself or making a playoff run or even making a push to even be in the playoffs. So, you know, I just feel like, you know, he, he went out, he he, he 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 spoke like, you know, he, like I said, it was so arrogant the way he carried himself throughout the whole year that, you was, that I sat back in the playoffs and I was like, okay, well, let me see it, Kyrie. I mean, you know, you've been doing all the talking. Let's walk the walk, but, hey, I mean, he did, man, and it's just, you know, it's unfortunate that he went out the way he did, man, just, you know, with that nonchalant attitude, man. It was very disappointing and very disturbing to watch at the same time. One of the first questions that I brought up about him, that I had of him anyway at the time they traded for him, was you want to get out of LeBron's shadow, fine. You want your own team, fine. But you're, you know, you're asking out of a situation, demanding out of a situation where you've gone to the finals four straight years. You've won one of them and hit the biggest shot in in Cleveland sports history and arguably NBA finals history. You come here and fall well short of expectations, granted being hurt one of those two years. If he leaves again from what is still a very talented team, you've said it at times and others have said as well, maybe a too talented team in regard to some of the players, that that thinning it out might have made some sense for Ainge during the year. I just question, how much is winning really a priority for Kyrie Irving? For plenty of athletes, it's the most important thing. And with him, I've just never believed that's true. Nah, me, and it showed, man. And I'm, I'm telling you, when you, if a guy shows you signs, that's who he is. I mean, if you watch him in his post-game, uh, like his post-game press conference, and you see the attitude that he kept, that's who he is, man. Like, you know, he decompressed and I'm looking forward to watching the Bucks. Like really man, like like this is what you're saying after you just lost a series, but I mean if he's showing you signs, this is who he is. So all that being said, I still believe and you don't, you think the team would be better off. I still believe that Danny Ainge should make it a priority to re sign him, give him that max five year one hundred ninety million dollars because if nothing else, he's an asset, the team is capped out with or without him. You can't replace a guy of that caliber because you don't have the money to do it, bring him in and, I don't know, treat it like a Blake Griffin situation where if, if for some reason it doesn't work out, you trade him, at least you're getting something for him and, and he's not just walking out the door for nothing. That's a huge gamble, man. It, it is, it is, but but here's the flip side of that too. I, I do think that Ainge wants him back. Despite everything, I think he wants him back. Do you believe that Brad Stevens wants him back? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I have mixed emotions because... I, I read some of the comments and then, you know, throughout the year between him and Brad and, you know, that sometimes they look like they're on the same page. Sometimes they don't. And it's like, man, like, what's really going on? And, you know, it's hard, man. It's hard for Brad to, to you know, it's hard to coach a guy like that, man, a guy who don't care, man. And then, you know, with the team he have, I mean, it was, like I, like I said, it was easier for him, for Brad to coach the team he had last year without Kyrie than it was this year with Kyrie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that puts Brad in a bad situation, man. You know, as a coach, it puts him in a bad, bad situation. We'll get right back to Perk. Just a real quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. NBA playoffs coming to a close, or at least we're getting there, right? It's time to make some serious money. You don't want to waste time on that. The Celtics, they're out. It sucks. You can't make money on them anymore, but that doesn't mean there isn't money to be made. Look at the Bucks, Incredibly entertaining. They had a great regular season, ran through the Celtics. It was terrible if you're the Seas. Personally, I love them the rest of the way. Big fan of the Bucks, and I think they can win a championship. There are also some special odds right now, like Kyrie Irving is plus 325 to come back to Boston or plus 200 to bolt to the Knicks. You think Al Horford's going to be on the Celtics next year? You could bet on that as well. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat to get a 50% bonus when you sign up and use the promo code CLNS50. Don't be left on the sideline with all the excitement going on on the court. Plus, 
you can play in BetOnline's virtual casino and make some real money there, too. And there's always futures bets you can play. Baseball season's in full swing. NFL futures are already out. NHL playoffs, too. Bruins are still going. There's a lot going on in the sports world. Whatever you do, make sure you use betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Or just go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. Let's get back to Perk. So everyone just seems to assume that Irving is gone. I actually don't. I do think he's going to be back. Maybe I'm naive. But most people do think he's gone, like it's a foregone conclusion. There isn't even any debate or mystery behind it. So do you think that he is destined to go to one of the New York or L.A. teams or, or somewhere else at this point? Or do you think at the end of it all, he does come back? I mean, I think he's gone. Where to? I think I don't know, but I think he's gone. I mean, I'm just... I'm looking at the writing on the wall, man. I'm just watching his body language and the way he's going about things. I mean, I think he's gone. If he was coming back, he would have said he was coming back, in my opinion. I guess to that point, as I said before, Horford said he wants to come back, and I think he will. Bain, same thing. Morris said he would love to come back. I don't think that'll happen just because I think he's going to get a better offer elsewhere. But Terry Rozier is an interesting case because if if Kyrie's gone, I think Terry will be back because he'll finally have that role that he has wanted. But if Kyrie's back, Rozier's definitely gone. And the thing with Terry is, and I don't know how well you know him, but he, he just he seems to have a very high opinion of himself. And it's important to have confidence. Don't get me wrong. I totally get that. You need to have that. But he seems to be a bit delusional with some of his remarks lately about being a top point guard in the league. He's not sacrificing more than anyone else on this team. I'm not sure that's true. And then he wasn't at all subtle in saying what he wants in free agency. I'm looking forward to a family, something that, that greet me like a family, and, and uh, that's going to invest in me all the way. And other, other than that, I'm going to go from there. What's just your general thoughts on, on the Celtics? Because obviously, you know, they're, they're, they've got restricted free agent status, so they can match. No comment. Perk, he said no comment, but that spoke volumes. You know, and I, I know he had a tough transition going from starter back to the bench, but isn't it possible part of his problem was self-inflicted? I mean, Jalen Brown accepted his role when he was moved to the bench, and I don't know that Terry ever really did. Well, he didn't, but, I mean, at the end of the day, from listening to uh, Terry, he's a good player, right? I mean, he's a good player. Um, but to me, he just sounds confused right now. I think, you know, if you don't know what you really want to say or, you know, sometimes after games, you know, you have emotions. Ray Allen always used to tell me, man, you know, hey, Perk, I used to I go home and go to sleep after bad losses, and, and then I wake up the next day, and then I'm ready to talk about the game because after the game, you're so much – you're so emotionally drained or on the roller coaster. You don't really – I mean, you may say anything. So I think at that time, I'm going to give Terry a pass because I think he was really just more so confused, you know, just more frustrated at the time. But I think if they was to circle back today and ask him those same questions, the answers would be totally different. How do you look at Gordon Hayward's season, especially after he finished so strong in the last month or two of the year, was generally effective against Indiana and then totally just – MIA and uneasy after game one against Milwaukee? Well, I think I think Gordon is just, man, he's just not. I think he needs this summer uh, just to regroup and re-lock back in. You know, he's now he's going to be fully healthy. Where he don't have to worry about rehabbing. He just have to worry about uh, getting back to where the Gordon Haywood that we know he is. And he just got to continue. He just got to continue to get back to his normal self. Um, I think he'll, he'll come in, be able to regroup, decompress, uh, work on work on his game this summer without worrying about the injury. And I think he'll be fine, man. Let's not forget, man. Gordon Haywood was, you know, he 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 was he was that guy before the injury. So I think this summer will be huge for him. I think he'll come back next year, man, and better, you know, with a better mindset and and, and his game speaks volumes. You think he'll be that guy again, the guy that he was in Utah? I think he can. I mean, like, you got to give him a pass, man. That injury he came back from, that wasn't an easy injury. And, you know, although he was working out this summer and working on this game, he still had to do the rehab process and everything to that nature. So um, I think, you know, with a summer 
that he got a, a, a good hard work in summer that he could have this summer, man, I think that would help him tremendously. And I think he could bounce back to being the Gordon Haywood that the Celtics signed before the injury. There was some chatter, uh, Jeff Goodman, Bob Ryan, on the Good and Plenty podcast, one of our sister CLNS podcasts, that the young players on the team felt Hayward got too much time early in the season when essentially was, of course, rehabbing through that injury. And he definitely played more than I thought he would in the first half of the year in terms of minutes and role. Do you think that led to resentment in the locker room at all? Young guys coming off a run to the Eastern Conference Finals felt they really proved themselves, they were deserving of more time, and then all of a sudden Hayward steps in not fully healthy, they don't play as much, don't have the same role, and and that led to some of the the early frustrations in that room? Yeah, and that's what I said. You know, that's what I I, I talked about earlier on, on the podcast with us today, and I was telling you that, you know, that was my biggest fear was guys being able to sacrifice with the discernment of, of Haywood and Kyrie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the run that they had, how was Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown was going to feel, you know? How was Terry Rozier going to feel with, you know? And and I was worried about that because it's hard. Young guys, are still, those young guys are still trying to put their stamp and identity on the league. It's not like when we won a championship in 08, you know, KG, Paul, and Ray had accomplished everything that they needed to accomplish or wanted to accomplish in their careers. But the only thing they didn't do was win a ring. Mm-hmm. So we got, so they formed together later in their career when they was in their 30s. So they was willing to make the sacrifices. You know, these guys are still trying to find themselves, still trying to find their niche. Am I an all-star type player? So, I knew it was going to be hard, but they do have to understand that, you know, Gordon Haywood was paid over a hundred million dollars and that he's not going to sit on the bench. I'm sorry. Like you're not going to pay somebody a hundred million dollars and they're not going to play a lot of minutes and play meaningful minutes. It just don't work that way. I feel like in some ways, and and we'll do more on your years here and, and that 08 team, especially in a little bit, but yep. You know, I feel like in some ways it gets romanticized, and rightfully so, by by you, the players, by those of us that watch the team, by everybody, because you came together and won immediately. You know, the Rome trip off the top of the year, Ubuntu, everything that, you know, KG's leadership, just all those things rolled into one. The vets, like you said, sacrificing for one another because they'd done so much as, as individuals, but collectively had never won the championship. And it, it's just – it's this perfect package because it worked. It ended in a title immediately. I wonder if that year isn't remembered the same way if for some reason, you know, you get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs and you win a title, say, two years later or something like that. People don't necessarily no. talk about the Rome trip and Umbutu and all of that stuff. Does this team, this current Celtics team, need to – need some guy, and and obviously we hoped it was going to be Kyrie Irving, but does it need some guy to attempt to generate that sort of early season chemistry, that trip, that, you know, that whatever it is, that missing piece that that you guys found immediately and and bring this thing together somehow? Well, the thing is, is this. So this is the thing, Adam. Like, you you have to – the thing that we had in 08 was – Doc didn't have to hold us accountable. We held ourselves accountable. And we and we checked each other within the locker room and within the team, and guys didn't take it personal. So it wasn't like guys were in their feelings about anything. Like, no, it wasn't nothing to that nature. Like, everything we done, everything we did, we did it, you know, we did it to the utmost. So we checked each other. If guys were messing around or not playing their roles, a guy would call them out and, hey, that's what it is. You got to respect that and we got to move forward. So I think at the end of the day, it comes within the locker room. First of all, you got to enjoy one another off the court. Mm-hmm. I think enjoying each other and learning about a person and hanging out off the court builds chemistry. So when you come on the court, it's, 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 it translates. And, you know, I've I, I seen, you know, Marcus Smart and I've seen even Big Al Horford and and even uh, more senior, you know, they was they tried their tails off to be leaders, and they did they did what they tried. They did everything that they could, you know. 
and I said this, you know, maybe, you know, the Celtics do lose more, more senior, but he was one of the more consistent players throughout this whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, he played really, really well for Boston, played with a lot of pride, a lot of toughness, man, and a lot of heart every single game I watched him play. Whether he struggled or not, I mean, he was consistent every single game. And, I mean, you know, you just need that, man. You need camaraderie. You need guys who want to play with one another. You need guys who are going to accept their roles. And I think that's just something that, you know, Danny and Wick, you know, they have to reevaluate, you know, this offseason is that, okay, our goal is obviously to win the championship and put the best team together. How can we do this? And knowing the great owner that Wick Grossbeck and Steve Pagliuca is, I know for sure that they're going to reevaluate the situation and put together the best group of guys that they think. And they'll pay the guys. They The Celtics never had a problem with paying guys. They'll pay guys who they think wants to be there and, and who's Celtic pride. And put a team out there who could go out there and, and be successful. So we got to talk about the coach because I love Brad Stevens. I, I'm a big fan, big supporter, and, and really until this year didn't deserve a whole lot of criticism around here and clearly did not duck criticism after that latest loss. As far as any other year that I've been a head coach, it's certainly been the most trying. I think I've done a, I did a, I did a bad job. Like at the end of the day, like as a coach, if your team doesn't find its best fit together, that's on you. Brad's teams have been known for their fight over the years, certainly not in fighting. This is the first time that Stevens has ever had to manage someone as talented and polarizing as Kyrie Irving, and Irving seemingly didn't make it easy on him. But how much blame does the coach you know, deserve when, when you're looking at that blame pie and, and all the, the underachievement this year for this team? Well, I, I mean, you, but you got to give Brad a pass, man. And, and the reason being is, yeah, you know, he, 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 he takes some blame for this year because, and he did, he, it's accountability, but... Think about what Brad has done since he got to the Celtics. I mean, he has he, he's done wonders with the teams that he's had. So, I mean, you know, you have one bad season. Okay, I mean, you can understand that. All right, Brad, okay, cool. You took it kind of – but it wasn't on Brad, man. Like, Brad put those guys right there. Brad let those guys play. You know, at the end of the day, it came down to the Bucks wanted it more. And, you know, obviously – Brad said the right things, man. Coach Steve said the right things on taking credit accountability for his part. But at the end of the day, man, you know, Brad has done, he's been there, what, four years, five years now? Yeah, six, I think. Six years. And, I mean, he had one, he had really one bad year out of six, right? Yeah, no, I mean, every year, and and this was, I can't remember, the fifth or sixth, we're in the ballpark, but yeah, every year got better and better in terms of win total until this year, and and he still won 49 games, which is not a bad year, it's just this is a team that people going into the year were talking about winning 60 games in a championship, and instead we're sitting here after a a second-round exit. Right, so I mean, at the end of the day, he, yeah, he took accountability and rightfully so, but man, you know, gotta give Brad a pass, man, he... He he has been doing. He's been coaching his ass off for the Celtics over his time for his time being there. And you know, one bad season, I, I you know, okay, but this hasn't been going on like this. This is not something that you see out of Brad every year. So I, I can't blame Brad for this season. I cannot. I'm sorry. I can't blame. Him. One of the things that's always kind of stuck with me, Perk, is is going all the way back to training camp. When all these guys were talking about winning championships and buying into their own hype and reading their own press clippings and all that stuff, Brad said from the very beginning, we're not as good as we think we are. And it just makes me wonder, you know, what did he know? Like, what did he see that nobody else did? Well, I think it was it's probably playing a psychological game of staying focused. Um, you know, and that's the, that's the thing with having a young, talented team. You have to make sure guys stay the course. And I think what Brad's saying that, that that was that was just his way of saying, "Hey guys, stay locked in," because there's so much that you could get caught up in right now as a player. You know, you have a social media world. You know, guys, as soon as they finish games, they go right to their Twitter, right to their Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, to see what people are saying about them. You know, when they have bad games, they're not even touching their phones. And 
you know, KG used to, KG, my big brother, told me something way long time ago. He was like, just like you have a good game and you can go read the newspaper articles and whatever about you, when you have a bad game, be a man about that and go read that too and take ownership. So, I mean, you know, I think Brad was just, you know, playing a psychological game with him, and I think that's just what it was, man. It was more so he was just trying to make the team stay focused and not get comfortable and get caught up in all the hype. You talked about motivation and, you know, holding yourselves accountable back when when you guys played in, in those early successful teams. And, you know, obviously the head coach was Doc Rivers, and I know you love Doc. I have... And I'll be up front with you because I, I Cedric Maxwell's on this podcast all the time, and oh, we fight about it constantly. I just happen to believe that Doc was or is an extremely overrated head coach. I think he is. Ooh. I know, I know. I think he's a. I think he's a great motivator. I think he's a great leader when he wants to be. I don't think he's especially great at X's and O's. Like on on your championship team, you know the defense. I look to Tom Thibodeau with a lot of that, but I do wonder. And you can respond to any of that, obviously. But I do wonder, does this year show us that really talented teams need coaches more like Doc, you know, more of the, the leaders of men than the real X's and O's guys like Brad? Well, look, I'm, look Adam, i got to disagree with you totally. Not because I'm biased, but, man, Doc Rivers is uh, – he have X's and O's to the T, bro, like – let me tell you something about Doc. Doc sleep with a clip. He sleep with a clipboard on the side of his bed, hmm. just because he says at times he he wakes up out of his sleep and may draw up a play. Um, you know, you gotta understand, man. Doc Doc is an offensive genius, in my opinion. I mean, he put together, he put guys in position to be successful, and his play calling. And the plays he draws up, and the way he gets guys to to uh, buy into his system, uh, man, I, I mean, I I never been around nothing more special. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, to this year proved a lot about Doc, in my opinion. You know, with him losing CP Blake Griffin and yeah. DeAndre Jordan. Oh, they had a great year, no question. And he coached, and Doc coached his butt off. Yep. And at the end of the day, you look back on Doc tra- track record. He everywhere he went, he, he pretty much kind of been successful. When he was with the Magic, he had T. Magnum. Man, they made a run when nobody thought they were supposed to make a run. Doc coached his butt off, and for the Celtics back in '08 to form a team and come together and win it that year, that was special. And that took coaching, and that took guys buying into Doc, and that took Doc putting guys in the right situation to be successful and drawing up plays, and I think he did that, man. I think he did that. And I, I'm telling you, to me, Doc don't get enough credit. Man, if you used to sit down with Doc and you used to pick his brain and, and see his play, the way he draws up plays and, you know, the little things he harp on and stuff like that, man, you would man, you would really, really be surprised, man. Well, maybe I'll have to attempt to have him on this show at some point, huh? Yeah, Adam, you would really be surprised, man. All right, well, with Danny Ainge, the guy's not afraid to gamble. You know that as well as anybody. Boston reached the East Finals two years ago. He knew he didn't have a winner, though, and only brought back four players from that team. This team was, at least, you know, to a man, immensely talented. Just no chemistry on the court or seemingly off of it. It didn't click. Where does Ainge go from here? Well, I don't know. He just got to – first, I want Danny to get healthy. Because Danny – he stresses himself out because he really cares. Like, he cares. He cares about winning. He, he he wants to win. And I want him to get healthy first. And then, like I said, he going to go to the drawing board. He's not scared to make moves. He's not scared to do whatever's best to make the Celtics get back to where they need to be. And I think he'll, he'll do a great job. Well, I know he'll do a great job of rebuilding the team this year. Who are the guys if 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 you're in Ainge's shoes? Who are the guys that that he should prioritize building around? Like if 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 there's such a thing as an untouchable, who's on your untouchable list? Well, for one, I mean, I gotta I gotta keep Jalen Brown. I gotta keep Jalen Brown, man. I gotta keep Jalen Brown. I gotta keep Marcus Smart. Um, I gotta keep Al Horford, and I want to keep more senior, but. 
rightfully so, he probably is going to get a better contract somewhere else because the Celtics probably can't pay him. But if I'm him, I keep those guys, and I and and you fact in that you'll keep Tatum, even though uh, Tatum didn't have a great season this year like we expected him to have. All great playoffs, you got to keep him in. But man, I'm gonna tell you, Jalen Brown, he showed me so much this year, man. Just on a, not just a skill wise, but maturity level that you just you just gotta love it. Like I mean, he embraced his role whatever Brad asked him to do. For a young guy, man, that's the hardest thing in the world to do, man. So most people believe, Perk, and and I believe this too, that, you know, the guy, and I love both players, I'd love to keep both, but the guy with the higher upside, you know, the the brighter long-term future as a a potential top-five player in this league, even though we didn't see it this year, is Jason Tatum. I know he regressed in year two, but it sounds like if, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like let's say they want to try and make a trade for Anthony Davis and it costs you one of those two guys, but it's not both. You'd rather give up Tatum than Brown? Yeah. Why? Just because, man, I, I, I just see more out of Jalen Brown, man. I do, man. I see, I mean, Tatum is skilled. You know, don't get it wrong, he got game. But when it comes down to skill, heart, and they they both have the same athleticism, um, you know. They're both streaky shooters from the three point line. Um, I mean, but Jalen, man, he brings a whole different di- dynamic to the team, man. Like his defensive mindset, man. Like his his he 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 really is a two way player in my opinion. I mean, I, that's just me, man. Like. I watch him on both ends, man. Defensively, he takes ownership and pride and picks guys up full court and plays guys with a tenacity. And offensively, he could play, man. And I just I, – I, I love Jalen Brown. He showed me maturity this year. That's the thing, man. He grew up. Like, he went to the bench. He didn't complain. He came off the bench. Marcus Smart got hurt. He was inserted to the starting lineup. He came out. He played beautiful basketball throughout the playoffs. I mean, that showed me a lot. That showed me a lot about character and everything. All right, let's talk some about you here. We've done plenty on this team. I, I want to enjoy the fact that we really, you know, we have a, you a, a part of a special era with this team. And how did you guys, and, and this comes back to some of what you already talked about, but uh, just to rehash a little bit of it and then give us whatever that, you know, you didn't already mention. You know, you but. How did you guys avoid buying into your own hype in 2008 and come together so quickly? You know, how whether it was a sit-down conversation with the vets saying this is how it's going to be and, and we're sacrificing or, you know, what was it that made it just such a, a perfect mix for you guys? Well, I mean, you know, we just held each other accountable. Uh, like I said, man, we, we the, the trip to Rome was the best thing that ever happened to us because we was able to get away from you know, 14 to 21 days where it was just us. And we we was forced to hang with each other. We was forced to get to know one another. We was forced to 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 hash things out. Training camp was great. It was competitive. It was fun. Doc established who guys were, knowing your roles. And we established that from the jump, knowing that we, 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 we bought in and we all lost ourselves with within the team, man, knowing that we were, you know, what we were trying to accomplish was bigger than one person. So, man, I think, you know, that's what helped us the most, man. We was able to go out there to Rome and be together in jail and know one another. And like I said, it's two totally different situations because, you know, we only had a few young guys, but we were old, older balls. Right. We had actual right. vets on our team that with, with James Posey, you know, Eddie House, we had vets, man. So it's totally two totally different situations. But at the end of the day, man, we just we enjoy one another, man. We love one another. We love playing with each other on and off the court, being around each other. So I think that was the biggest difference. People like to refer to that time here in Boston, as I'm sure you know, as, as the new Big Three era. Now that, I, I think, does some of you guys a disservice because you and Rondo and, like you said, Posey and and House and all those guys, just such big parts of this team. But, you know, when you look back on on that time, are you satisfied by the one championship? Do you feel like you guys left one on the table? How do you you view that period of time? Uh, 
um, we just, you know, we just had to, like, it was just, it was the, man, it was the funnest time of my life, man, to be honest, man. It was the best time of my life and as far as basketball-wise. Like, I could, I could never replace that year, man. Like, that year, I had so much fun on and off the court, man, and winning the championship. It was the best time of my basketball life as far as NBA-wise. You have a great story from your Boston years that nobody's heard? I know there are a lot out there that people have, but anything that people haven't? No, I think everybody heard them all, man. Like, <laughs> it's just, you know, we didn't, we just, I mean, we didn't, I know you probably heard, like, in training camp with Big Baby was the, uh, Big Baby, he he was a rookie then, and we, uh, we we made him eat a, uh, we was sitting down at a restaurant, and they had octopus then, and we made him eat an octopus, and he was like, <laughs> going overboard i'm talking about really couldn't do it and all type of stuff man it was the craziest thing yo. since when has that dude turned down food <laughs> do you believe yeah, the seas uh would have won in 2010 if you didn't get hurt man i keep man i think about that all the time but at the end of the day man we was up 14 points man to start the fourth quarter we were supposed to win that game man we were supposed to win that game but who knows i mean I don't want to say yeah, no, but I know I would have made a difference in a, in a major way. But man, we were supposed to win that game, and I think about that game a lot more than I think about the 2008 game, man. Do you think we'll ever see that full 2008 or or that era, but most especially 2008 because that was the title team? Do you think we'll ever see that reunion with Ray and KG back together, all you guys back together? I know it's been talked about for years, but do you think it'll ever come to fruition? Yes, it will. Just take time, man. Time heal wounds, man. So, you know, just give everybody a little time, man, and it'll get back to where it needs to be. Are KG and Ray still not speaking? Uh, I think they'll spoke a little bit. I don't know. Um, I don't don't ask KG that when I talk to him, and I don't ask Ray about it either. I want them to hash it out. So you're in touch with both of them, though? Yeah, I am. So, you know, they grown, man, and... They'll figure things out, man. We'll get over So Danny has uh, not made many bad trades in Boston. In fact, most have been exceptional. I think the argument, though, could be made that the last bad trade that he made was February 24th, 2011, when you were shipped to the Thunder for Jeff Green. Did it take a while to get over that? It, it did, but this is what people have to understand, man, that, you know, a lot of people – criticize Danny for that trade, but what a lot of people don't understand is I was a young player looking to get paid, and the Celtics had offered me a contract extension the most that they possibly could, but it wasn't nothing that I could take. And probably at the end of the season, I was going to probably end up walking anyway and, and leaving the Celtics because they didn't have the money to pay me. Uh, and I and and rightfully so, I was in the middle of my career. I was 25, 26 years old, so I needed to have my payday, not just be selfish, but I I had earned it. So mm-hmm. I think you know, at the end of the day, Danny had to because I was go probably end up leaving Celtics, the Celtics anyway, just because of contract uh, contract situations and he actually man Danny actually put me in a great position man he traded me to a great organization and he knew that he sent me he could have sent me anywhere but he sent me to OKC knowing that he was putting me in a great situation knowing that I would get a contract extension and everything so at the end of the day to the outside world it looked bad but it wasn't all on Danny well, I'll tell you, to your point, I, I was going to play the audio. I won't bother because you said a lot of the stuff that he said, but he was on the radio here in Boston just last month and was asked about it because he continues to get grief for that deal and, you know, kind of defended himself a little bit for the first time that I've really ever heard him do that and was nothing but complimentary of you and talked about how much he loved you uh, and continues to love you, but also the fact that, yeah, like you wanted to get paid, they weren't in the situation to do it and all the things that that you highlighted. What does it mean to to still be held in in such high regard by fans here? It means it means everything to me, man. Because you know, like I said, Boston embraced me from the jump, man. Like 
everything everything falls like me coming as 18 18 year old kid man and just they they welcomed me with open arms Danny took a chance on me coming out of high school I had eight and a half great years in Boston and it means everything to still be like you know loved there even by Danny by the owners to you know to everybody, to the fans, man. I mean, it means everything to me, and and I don't take it for granted. And that's the the main reason that, you know, I come out and give Kyrie a hard time about, you know, if, if Kyrie was playing for anybody else, I could care, I could give a, I wouldn't give a damn, hmm. you know, really. But playing with an organization that I know, I know the history, I know what what it means to be there, I know what. You know how it feels to play there, you know, and it just, man, Celtics fell in my heart. You talked not long ago about, uh, you know, an interest in, in coming back here and playing 10 days, something like that. And, uh, you know, I know it didn't come to fruition as much as many fans would have loved to have seen it. If nothing else, you know, forget on the floor, just the, the leadership presence in the room that this team so desperately needed. Would you like to come back here at some point on the coaching staff or, or are you, you know, looking into the media thing at this point? Well, I mean, Adam, right now I'm just leaving all options open. But at the end of the day, man, I would love to be back in Boston if the opportunity presented itself. So, you know, right now I'm just leaving all my options open and just figuring out my way and figuring out what I want to do. Perk, I've kept you long enough, but this was a tremendous pleasure. I greatly appreciate you hopping uh, on with us. Hey, Adam, man, thank you for having me. Next time you see uh, Max, tell him he don't want no smoke. Next time you talk <laughs> to Max. I can do that, absolutely. Kendrick Perkins. That was awesome. I loved it. I hope you guys loved it as well. And um, subscribe to the Celtic Speed podcast. This is where you can hear some really great, unique content and hopefully some other, uh, maybe some other guys from that era. We'll get some numbers from Perk and see if we can have some other guys on down the line over the course of this offseason when there's going to be plenty to dissect. Among those things, some key dates to be aware of just if you're paying attention. Of course, there's the NBA draft lottery. That's coming up on Tuesday. So we'll see how the ping pong balls bounce and discuss that next time around. Celts should come away with the Kings pick, unless it's number one, possibly the Grizzlies pick. That is top eight protected, so we'll find out how that shakes out. Also, coming up just about a month from now, a little bit more than that, Kyrie Irving and Aaron Baines. They have until June 13th to decide whether to opt in or hit free agency. Al Horford has until June 18th with that $30 million option that he has. Obviously, Irving is going to test the market. We know that. So the question marks really are those other guys, and I think Baines... Given how easy everything went for him last year, such an easy decision to sign that two-year, $11 million deal, he's going to opt in. Don't worry about him hitting the market. I don't think that's likely. Horford's a curious situation that we can spend more time on in the future. Will he decide to opt in for the 30 or take more security by you know, opting out and, and taking more money over more years and have a lower average annual value? I, I think personally that's the way it's going to go. Some people can see any of these potential options unfolding it's just if he opts in for 30 so easy to just move him if they want to in the Anthony Davis deal if that ends up happening it's you know you decrease that money it makes him less likely to move him on and on Uh, also C's have until June 29th to tender Terry Rozier 4.3 million dollar qualifying offer which may very well happen depending on what other interest he seems to have out there but again a lot of time dissect that down the road and and this show has gone on long enough as it is we don't need to dive into all those things so thanks again to perk want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by betonline.ag go to clnsmedia.com slash celtics beat use the promo code clns50 for a 50 percent bonus on your first deposit thanks again to my producer evan valenti to nick larry john everybody at clns media most especially of course you again subscribe to clns on YouTube, you can hear all sorts of great content there from locker room sound to analytical stuff. The options are endless. And, of course, subscribe to this show, Celtics Beat, on iTunes. Leave us a review, rating, all that stuff. We appreciate it. All right. Well, we're on our regular Sunday schedule at this point because there are no more games to bounce us around. So it's all off-season questions and debates and, candidly, in a lot of ways, the truly interesting time of the year after what was A season that was memorable for all the wrong reasons. Gino, get us out of here on a high note.
Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.